Hi, welcome to Head Start, podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. It is by now abundantly clear that some of the ways we have all been used to doing things, including organizing races, are just not sustainable for the planet in the long term. And it is increasingly obvious to race directors and participants alike that traveling long distances to and from events, going through scores of single-use plastic bottles and sending tons of waste to landfill is taking its toll on the environment and the communities we all strive to support. For over a decade now, the Council for Responsible Sport has supported mass participation sports sustainability transition through its industry-leading certification program and the development of the industry's first responsible sports standards. And today, I have the pleasure of catching up with the Council's Executive Director, Shelley Villalobos, on the Council's recent initiatives to encourage even more race directors to take their first steps toward environmental sustainability, including the launch of Rescore, a free app that can help any race organizer plan, track, and achieve their sustainability goals step-by-step through a single online platform. Before we go into all that, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to our podcast sponsors. First up, Race Director's favorite all-in-one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events, Run Sign Up. More than 26,000 in-person, virtual, and hybrid events use Run Sign Up's free and integrated solution to save time, grow their events, and raise more. And of course, RaceCheck, whose free review box widget can help you collect and showcase your participant feedback on your own website, helping you more easily convert website visitors into paying participants. Two great companies we'll be hearing a little bit more from later in the podcast. But now, let's get into our discussion on the Council for Responsible Sport with Shelley Villalobos. Shelley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Panos. I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for coming on. We've been trying to line this up actually uh, for a few months now, me and you, so I'm really glad we were able to find some time to chat at last. So I'm very excited today to hear about uh, what you guys are up to at the Council for Responsible Sport. I think you make an incredibly important contribution to the industry. But before that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your role and your career at the Council for Responsible Sport so far? That sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited to to tell you more about how the the council's work is trying to put tools in organizers' hands that can help them translate their good intentions into action at their events. But before we get there, yes, I can share uh, that that my story of involvement with the Council for Responsible Sport really goes back to just after I finished college at the University of Oregon, uh, which is in Eugene, Oregon, and I had been playing softball there and. I um, had gotten involved with our sustainability efforts and actually started working with the university athletics department on sustainability and athletics, um, and then did a stint with the city of Eugene as well, this, the local municipality, around um, some championship events that were coming to town and helping to make those ones um, more socially and environmentally responsible. So one thing led to another, and I was on the other side of the table, applying events for certification with the Council for Responsible Sport. And as those, as that contract ended, the, the position for certification director opened up and I, I found myself uh, excitedly involved. So um, that was back in 2013. I've, I was certification director for a long time. And then our executive director, our former executive director, Keith Peters, retired in 2015. So I took over as managing director at that time. 
And then I became our executive director as of last fall, um, August 2021. So been with the organization a long time now and um, been focused on this work for, for many years and, and gladly still doing this work. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, and congratulations on the on the recent promotion, fairly recent promotion. So it's interesting because when I came across the Council for Responsible Sport, and, and I have to say that at least in, in, in my mind, you guys have grown a lot in terms of your stature in the industry. But when I came across you guys a few years back, I almost thought like it was a new thing and it was only starting just then. Uh, but then when we had a chat, apparently... It's it's been it's been around for quite a while. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about when it was formed and how it was that it came about that people thought you know we need to start this thing? Sure. Yeah. So it was back in 2007 and 2000, leading up to the planning of an event that was going to take place in Portland, Oregon, in 2008. Um, it was the Freshwater Trust Portland Triathlon, um, and and the organizers were looking for good examples because they needed um, to convince uh, the triathletes that the water was clean enough to swim in in the river portion of the event. And um, the Freshwater Trust, which was the nonprofit that they were hosting the event to benefit, had been doing a lot of that restoration work. And so it became um, fundamentally interwoven with the planning of the event to incorporate this ecological awareness and, and sort of stewardship mindset. So they looked for good practices of what that meant in action at the event. And uh, that was the first, that was the very first uh, generation of what we now call the responsible sports standards. So uh, we're on the fourth version of standards now. That was back in 2008. Um, 180 events have been certified to date, according to um, the the four versions of those standards across that time. Um, so, so yes, we've we've been growing. We've been gathering momentum, albeit slower, I think, than the founders in, in originally envisioned. Um, but such is such is life, right? We do our best. Indeed, indeed. So are you saying, if I understand you correctly, that basically initially sort of the mission was around, well, probably not not entirely around just water quality, but more around how events can be put on without putting a strain on their on the environment, basically, and the community they operate in? That's correct. They They were really coming with an ethos of, hey, we want to be responsible. We want to walk our talk. We're an organization dedicated to ecological um, sustainability and how might we use an event to show that and to live that um, in alignment with our principles. So that was really that was really where it began. Right. And the mission the council has today, has it has it changed or expanded around that or beyond that? You know, our purpose and, and mission remains this vision of a world where responsibly produced events are the norm rather than an exception or rare. So we want, you know, I mean, it's sort of how uh, I like to use the example of smoking was very common in the in the 60s and 70s, right? Until all of the Surgeon General warnings came out and the scientific research showed that it was unhealthy. And then it took a long time to gradually change the culture. And, and we've seen those numbers go down and, and there's new norms in society around that, right? You used to go into a restaurant and there would be a smoking section, but no more. Um, so the new norms of sport events would be, that's the idea is to create these expectations that, that we operate more responsibly, both socially and environmentally. And when you mentioned sports there and sport events, 
most people in the audience being race directors, they would immediately think of the kind of mass participation endurance events we are put on as an industry. Does the council also work with professional events beyond that? So, you know, like some of the big paid U.S. sports you guys have over there? Yeah, so we've seen more interest from those large uh, championships events in recent years. Um, certainly when there are major sponsors involved who are under uh, public scrutiny, for example, and they want to be making sure that they're, uh, the properties that they're supporting are, are well aligned um, in terms of their values. Uh, so, so yeah, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, for example, or it's happening um, it, more currently now is the Final Four, um, which is a, the, the college basketball championships, which are so popular here. Those have been certified in recent years. So, yeah, more interest from, from beyond road races, definitely, um, as time goes by. Okay. At this point, it'd be interesting to have just a, a bit of a summary, just a teaser. We'll get into a lot more detail on how exactly you guys deliver on that mission. So, you know, you've set out to basically see to it that more events are more aware and produce events more responsibly around the world. How do you do that? How do you help event organizers get there? Well, being that we are a nonprofit and we have limited capacity and resources, our uh, leadership and our focus has always been, let's set standards of best practice. Let's give event organizers an opportunity to weigh in on what those expectations should be, but then let's have a shared framework and a shared language for what we all would consider to be baseline responsible practice. That's it in a nutshell. So we, we are involved with getting that feedback from event organizers and putting out standards uh, and letting, letting the organizers take them up or or not, and so that's the that's the we put it back in the in the in the lap, so to speak, of the uh, race directors to say, do we want to be in alignment with these standards or not? So you're basically sort of like the the ears and mouthpiece for for this whole kind of like conversation. You you get feedback from people on on what those sustainability practices need to be, then you disseminate it, you share it with people. And you sort of lead that that sort of like ongoing dialogue process that refines that stuff. Yeah. And I would say that the major value of that is that organizers don't have to recreate the wheel. We get so many coming to us saying, we, we want to do the right things. What are they? <laughs> and so we have this collection to share. Okay, great. And you mentioned there that um, you guys are a nonprofit. In terms of your governance, I guess you guys have uh, some kind of board overseeing the the work you do? We do. Yeah, we have um, an all-volunteer, 10-person board of directors that uh, is in charge of setting the strategy and and forward vision for the organization and a small staff dedicated to implementing it. Absolutely. And I know you carry, uh, you know, you have a lot on your plate, speaking of small staffs, which is always great. Lots of challenges um, every day for you to look at. In terms of the funding of the organization, how does that work? Do you get uh, sort of donations? Is it through the services you provide? How do you fund yourselves? You know, sport is, um, and maybe we'll get into this more later, but generally sport is quite under-regulated as a market. Uh, a lot of it is privately owned, um, and it sort of slips by a lot of regulatory agencies' purview outside of permits and whatnot. So I'm sure organizers have lots of experience with, with um, their municipalities in terms of seeking permits. But beyond that, um, 
sport is un, it's highly unregulated, and so it's all voluntary. We um, we do charge a fee for the certification, so that pays for um, a third-party evaluator to verify activities, which includes an on-site visit, um, and and it affords us to have our small administrative costs and um, and the licensing sort of of that logo of of certification that they earn. Right. And we're going to jump into certification actually um, in a minute. It's a really important aspect of what you guys do when you certify um, events um, and all the different things that come to this and, and the best practices. In terms of the council and its standing and collaboration and working with other similarly minded agencies and efforts around the world, how do you sort of fit into that global sustainability puzzle as an organization? You know, we operate largely independently of them, but uh, but generally following a similar model as some of the other certification offerings. Um, for example, the Global Reporting Initiative or the International Standards Organization, where those are much, much larger organizations that uh, set standards across many sectors and industries. Um, we stay focused on sport, just being that we were created by event organizers for event organizers. So we really try to stay in our lane, as it were. I see. Is it that you operate entirely in the US? I mean, I know some really um, high profile events that get certified by you, or do you also do work um, outside of the US as well? We've been open to certifying events anywhere that there's interest in doing it, but there is some language barrier being that our staff just speaks Spanish and English. So um, we've certified events in eight countries now, some uh, Latin American countries. Um, there are several events in Colombia, um, in Venezuela, and in Bolivia, um, and in Mexico that have earned certification. And we've seen some more interest uh, in Europe, but um, and actually a couple of events in Italy have been certified as well. But beyond that, we, we await the, the interest and the efforts to certify events um, from, from folks everywhere with the ability to, to submit their, their things in English um, is really a limiting factor, English or Spanish. That's an interesting question that um, we're also going to sort of like uh, visit a little bit later. But now that you mentioned all these countries and all these parts of the world, do you have a sense for the relative affinity of of different countries and how close they are to the to the sustainability race, I guess, or the sustainability effort? Do you find that people maybe in some parts of the world are a little bit more aware and a little bit more keen to be doing stuff? and others are uh, maybe um, lagging a little bit in that? It's a good question. I don't want to get too specific because I think we've seen excellent efforts um, from almost all of the events. It's as if the events that choose to make their way to council certification they're very willing to look deeply at the standards and they've already done uh, some some work to um, incorporate a lot of that not because they're the standards, but because that's what those organizations already value. They value community and outreach and collaboration and partnership for the common good. So that is a great baseline that we work forward from. Right. Yeah. And I guess the people that come to you are already sort of self-selecting in the sense that, you know, if you have an interest in reaching out to you guys, then, you know, you're already a little bit ahead of the curve in thinking through these things. So let's talk a little bit about certification, which is a very important thing uh, that you do, and how your 
standards work around that? Basically, just take some time to walk us through the process, the standards, how they come together, and what people can look forward to on the other end. Great. We see organizations come to us come to us at very different stages, and we invite them all, wherever you are on your social or environmental responsibility journey, it is by necessity different for everyone. Because if you're really looking inward, uh, your values and your local community or where you're hosting events, it's all it, that's all circumstantial. And so, um, so we invite them to, to start where they are um, and build from that with, uh, with these best practices in mind. And so with that, a certification project starts with a self-assessment and we look uh, up and down the standards. There are five categories of where we, which we use to organize the best practices. Um, very briefly, I'll, I'll just highlight them. The first is planning and communication. So having that strategy, having the planning and the communications in place. Um, second category is procurement. So how are you bringing about the goods and services to deliver your events? Uh, the third is uh, resource management, which includes how you're managing waste and preventing waste up front, uh, how you're measuring water use and um, advocating perhaps for its conservation, um, any kind of restoration work. And then it also includes energy and carbon piece. So events require energy and transportation, and that produces climate changing emissions. And so helping organizers to account for those emissions and, uh, and ideally compensate for them uh, or reduce them outright. And then the fourth and fifth categories are really the social elements. Um, the fourth category is access and equity. So we think about uh, accessibility, not just physical accessibility, which is which is, I think, common, thank goodness, uh, but also socioeconomic and cultural accessibility um, and how we're identifying barriers to participation from different community groups uh, and how we can lower those barriers so that, so that more people can be involved um, with the events. The fifth category is community legacy. So why is the world just a little bit better because your event happened? You know, what kind of partnerships and collaboration are you, are you um, taking on to, and, and to do what in, in your places, in your community. So that's the framework in a nutshell. Those are the things that, um, that event organizers told us are, are relevant and matter most when it comes to how they're thinking about the purpose behind their events and their responsibilities behind their events. And um, when a group wants to get certified, they, they, it's really a menu of sorts where we recognize not everyone's going to do all 61 items in this list. It's, it's a long list, and organizations can get cert their events certified, achieving 27 of them to begin, which is about 45%. And that's the baseline to say you've reached, you've done these kind of, there's five or six mandatory items or obligatory items. And beyond that, it's a menu. What, what makes the most sense for your events and, and, and where are you seeing the most value in these practices? So they can move up on a merit-based system from there. The more of the practices that they implement and demonstrate, the higher level of achievement they can earn uh, with the certification seal. And we've seen folks use their seals in many different ways, you know, from pages on their website and on the footers of their, of their website to on reusable grocery bags that they're handing out instead of metals, you know, or, or on water bottles that are reusable and as the 
way to prevent plastic waste, you know, and there's um, lots of different ways we're seeing that being used. Yeah. So basically, because I've seen the list and actually we're going to link it in the um, episode notes, is as you say, there's like 60 bullets of, you know, these are the things that you could and should be doing if you're interested in making your event more sustainable and more inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're sort of grouped in five categories, the categories that you mentioned. And then you can get certified to a different level of certification according to how many of those boxes you tick, essentially. And some, as you say, sort of are, you know, like the sort of like table stakes. You just have to do some of them, right? Some basic ones. And then the other ones are you like, you can choose whether, you know, it's it makes more sense for you to try and put your efforts into, you know, improving this versus improving that, for example. I think you've said that, there's a consultation process through which all of these kind of like standards get revisited. How do you decide in the end which ones make it? So basically, you know, which are going to be the the 60 ones that make it through to the official certification list and which ones don't? Yeah, that's a, um, it's a long process of stakeholder engagement. So it's, it's reaching out to the event organizers from events that have achieved certification. So we think that they have um, invested in the program, right, as a community of peers coming together to say, these are the things that that we value. So we think they uh, absolutely have earned a say in, in what comes next and what deserves to be on that list and not. Um, so every few years, we, we go through the process of putting together an advisory committee, um, putting together uh, an industry survey that folks can, can comment on, open public comment on the draft standards. That process helps us to then sort through any items that needed updating or, or a slight revision or that were not as relevant anymore and, and maybe need to be uh, phased out, leaving room for the new good practices to come in. So I would say in general, it's a process of stakeholder engagement. The standards get updated every few years. Um, we think that people who have been through the certification process have earned themselves the right to have a say in, in what are those best practices that should be on the list um, and not, as well as the, the general public. So we, we um, put a survey out there for event organizers who have experience with organizing to, to let us know what they think. And then we also make the draft standards available for public comment um, so that we can see what we've missed, right? We can't think of everything. And so bringing as many people into that conversation as possible is very important to us. Um, and, and we'll be updating the single event standards here in the next couple of years. So I would put that on everyone's radar who is listening to please get involved with that process and have your say. Absolutely. And and we'll help uh, raise some awareness around that as well. It's a, it's a very worthwhile cause. In terms of the standards, is there any bias perhaps in favor of specific events or are they perhaps meant to work a little bit better for some kinds of events or maybe even some locations? Would they be quite universal? How, how do you deal with basically producing something that needs to be relevant across, you know, like from a 5K to an Ironman triathlon from Oregon to China? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we've tried to make the standards specific to the power of the platform of sport, right? And so what is the unique cultural influence of a sporting event? Um, What is the possibility that it has within its reach? And that's where we begin. And then we try not to get too prescriptive about the exact 
items and what they look like. So for example, in section two, which is procurement, the first standard is do you have a procurement policy? Do you have a plan by which you follow to bring about the goods and services and do your contracting work? Um, we don't say what should be in that policy. We're just saying, do you have one? And so a lot of organizations will go and they'll say, okay, we're going to eliminate styrofoam and we're going to eliminate extra plastic and we're going to seek reusable and recycled materials in all of our printing and our um, t-shirts and, and whatever um, merchandise we're purchasing. Great. We applaud that. We encourage it. But we don't, we don't say you have to do that, right? Because it's a little different for everyone based on their circumstances. We've also left room in the standards for innovations and that, that are not specific about anything. It's just within those five categories. So planning and communications, innovation looks like many different things. A lot of groups are moving towards using apps to, um, to communicate digitally instead of doing a lot of printed materials. So that prevents waste. Um, there's, been, there's been so many uh, different different ways that people have gotten creative. And so we wanted to leave space in the standard for those. Also, there's a, a thing that we call a la carte. So similar to an a la carte menu at a restaurant where you're choosing from individual items, we've made a list and said, you could get points for doing any of these things. We don't expect you to do them all. So that's some of the ways that we've tried to incorporate some flexibility into the program um, that, that can address the differences that happen with the different circumstances of events all over the place. Yeah, and that, and that flexibility is um, uh, generally very helpful. But if I am a race organizer and I actually need help on specifics on how to achieve some of those things. So for instance, you know, it's like, fine, let's have some strategies for um, mitigating emissions, for instance, which is something that people would like to do, but it, it gets pretty complex pretty fast, doing all the diligence with projects and all of that stuff. Do you also then step in and help them specifically hold their hand through some of these things on how to actually achieve them? Yes, we do. So um, particularly when they express interest to us or need for, for deeper help, we're, we're there with examples uh, and sometimes even with a contact across the industry with a peer who, who has already tried something and had uh, some success. Um, we're happy to link those when there's mutual permission to do so. And then specific to your prompt about greenhouse gas emissions, for example, the climate impacts of events, it's one of the more mystifying elements, I think, for organizers because many are not trained sustainability professionals. Um, or scientists. So uh, we went ahead and created a, a GHG tracker for events that really just prompts you to a few more simplified questions uh, and a few more specific uh, data points. For example, approximately how many miles did so-and-so travel to bring you that service for the event, your time or your, you know, I mean, whatever it may be um, to help and then run the event. The calculations for you so that you're not having to look up emissions factors and do multiplication around right around um, units of measurement that that you're not familiar with so that's one example of where we're trying to make it easier and lower the bar for um, for entry so that people can get in there take care of their responsibility and and move forward confidently examples have been really useful in the system um, and just pointing to good practices uh, across the network of events, of which there are so many now, and the library is ever-growing. 
Because I also actually, um, a few podcasts back, I was um, I had um, Bruce Rayner talking to me from Athletes for a Fit Planet. And he actually mentioned that he also helps events through the certification process. Are there more people like him? People may turn to sort of as consultants to help them through the process? Yes. And I do recommend um, working with consultants if you have the capacity to do so. They, they, I mean, Bruce and his group and, and many others um, in the space do a wonderful job and, uh, and they really bring a lot of value um, to events and the work they do and help their impact be amplified, which I believe leads to uh, a better reputation and more retention, not just of, um, of runners, but of volunteers, you know, I mean, and, and staff. And it builds a culture where, where there's purposeful work being done that's seeking and groups seeking improvement over the years. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that motivates people to stay and to, to continue their involvement. And actually, as a side question, you mentioned there are some of the new technologies coming through for paperless communications and other things. There's a few vendors in the industry who particularly put out products around that. How do you guys at the council work with them and like, you know, with other commercial partners who may have some tools in this effort of, of making events more sustainable? Do you, do you promote them? Do you sort of, you know, try to keep an arm's length? towards those kinds of guys how, how do you work with them yeah we haven't we haven't really cracked that nut very well to be honest because of our desire to remain independent um, we don't we don't really have any kickback type of programs referral programs it's not our style however when somebody has a solution that helps events get certified or get points toward their certification we do let groups know if it's relevant we'll, we'll say hey have you heard of so and so and 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 at least put a link or ask if they would like an introduction. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So we're, we're um, agnostic as to who's providing those, those solutions. And, and we're happy to share them when it's relevant and when, the, when their work speaks for themselves. So that would be the approach. And then also, we haven't talked yet about Rescore, but we do have a new online system. It's a web-based application, um, and there's a catalog in there. So if, if groups are providing those goods and services that help events get points towards certification or achieve, implement those best practice standards, then they can get a, a little card in our catalog, and it's a simple link through to say, you know, here's your 100% recycled polyester shirts. And if you'd like to see more, click that link and it'll just take you straight through. That's, that's the way we've approached it so far. Okay, great, great. And, and these would those be kind of like sponsorship arrangements you have? Do you get paid on the back of those? Or is it simply putting in the right kinds of companies that help people achieve their sustainability goals more easily? Right now, the criteria is you've got to offer a product that will help someone get a point towards their certification. And no, we don't receive paybacks or kickbacks on that uh, at all. And then their space, if they have that, that well-aligned um, service or product, um, that space is free in our catalog. Awesome. That's a good segue to letting people know what the whole thing costs. And I say good segue because you've demonstrated that basically it's the certification process and the fees you guys receive from that that pays for everything else you guys do, which I think is super admirable. So what does it cost for someone to go through that process? So for single events, large events, there's a baseline fee. It ranges based on the size and, and revenue of that event. Um, so from 6000 to $12,000 per event for a two-year cycle. So your certification good for two years once earned. Um, and so it, the fee doesn't change based on the level of, 
of certification that's earned. It's just it's a fee based on um, the the projected revenue from the event or the size, uh, the a number of participants if it's a participatory event. Um, and so uh, events remain certified for those two years. Um, we you know we had to raise our prices out of necessity from from trying to recover from COVID like everyone else. Um, at the same time, we recognize that everyone else is trying to recover as well. And so Rescore is our new web-based tool that is making the standards accessible to everyone regardless of their ability to pay. We didn't want um, dollars to be a barrier to entry to the program. And so groups can use Rescore and do the self-assessment and measure up against the standards and access all of the guidance for free forever. Hey, I want to talk to you for a moment about Run Sign Up, our favorite all-in-one technology platform for ACES. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things we're going to be touching on with my guest, Shelly, a bit later in the episode. Basically, one of the easiest things you can do to reduce your race's impact on the environment is to mitigate the emissions that result from your participants traveling to your race. For most races, that is by far the number one contribution to an event's carbon emissions. So how do you do that? Well, step number one, you figure out where participants are traveling from. And Run Sign Up's super handy zip code report can help you very easily do that in minutes. Step number two, you add the cost of offsetting those emissions on your registration fee, explaining to participants what that is all about. Run Sign Up can also very easily do that for you. In fact, with Run Sign Up, you can have any number of add ons in your registration checkout flow. You can even offer the option for participants to forego a swag item in favor of planting a tree or something cool like that. The point is, Whatever your sustainability plan, with a flexible technology platform like Run Sign Up, you can implement any kind of creative initiative you put your mind to. So, to learn more about Run Sign Up's registration add-ons and other amazing checkout features, head over to runsignup.com. That's runsignup.com. Okay, that's it for me for now. Now, let's get back to the episode. One important thing, actually, for people who listen to those numbers and, you know, obviously there's tons of work involved, but, you know, for some events may sound, as you say, a little bit, you know, I mean, it, it is a sum to consider there. Tell our listeners a little bit about this model that I keep seeing of events being certified through a sponsorship with a third party that basically picks up the tab for that. So how does that whole thing work? Because it sounds like a very... Very typical, very fortunate win-win for everyone. One guy picks up the bill, the event gets certified, you do your work. So how does that whole thing work? We've seen this model emerging where uh, a corporate sponsor comes in and, and or maybe they're having introductory conversations and that when an event has a sustainability approach or a comprehensive sort of responsibility approach, um, that they can package that up into a into a sponsorship package. Um, sometimes it's a title sponsor, sometimes it's a sustainability sponsor. And with that can come help with the certification fee and maybe a consultant like Bruce at Athletes for a Fit Planet or others. Um, it might help with uh, the cost of greenhouse gas emissions offsets. So we're investing in, you know, in a nature-based restoration project or solution. And then maybe there's some opportunity for staff and volunteer engagement. Maybe there's a local tree planting element. Maybe there's um, some investment in, you know, for example, 
electric vehicle charging stations, which are also part of the climate solutions, uh, which of which there are a plethora to choose from. And, and maybe it has some social programming there too. So packaging up all of that really values-driven and purpose-driven work uh, can be a great platform to to find where your alignment is and, and activate. So um, we would encourage events to, to look at that and put together a package and see where they need help. Where, where do they want to build it out? Do that self-assessment, right? And find the gaps and the strengths and build your program off of that. Because you have, if you have your strengths, you can start there. And that's your pitch. And then your, part of your pitch is also, here's our opportunities for improvement. Here's where we're going. And we need your help and partnership to get there. Is there a particular area or niche where the sustainability sponsors tend to come out of? Are they like a particular type of corporate that might be interested in putting a little bit of their budget towards something like that? You know, getting my race certified? Yeah, you know, the banks actually have made a lot of public commitments to uh, the Paris Agreement. And so I don't know how much our audience is familiar with the the Paris Climate Agreement from 2015. But basically, uh, across the world, nations said, we need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial average temperatures, right? And so um, with that uh, comes the whole suite of sort of um, cascading consequences of not achieving that goal. Um, and so to prevent that, we're seeing a, a strong increase by Fortune 500 companies and all across business sectors saying, okay, here's what it's going to take for us to be in alignment with that goal, and we'll do it by 2050. So look for companies who have publicly stated commitments to being in alignment with uh, the goals around limiting climate change. And that's a great place to start because you know then that you're starting on that same on that same footing. And then actually, this is a question I put to Bruce, I think, uh, back in our podcast. And I think it's super important for people. Being responsible, I think, is great. I mean, you know, it, it sort of pays for itself. It's, it's a goal to aspire to regardless of anything else. I mean, it's the right thing to do. But, you know, you know how things work uh, most of the time. There needs to be a commercial element in all this. How does this whole thing, I was trying to ask Bruce around, you know, like, how can I market my race if it were greener or if it were certified? How can we basically take all of that green goodness and make it work also commercially for events a little bit more in their favor? A green goodness, I like the sound of that, but I'm going to push back a little bit because I think it comes down to the purpose of the event. And it's going to be different a little bit different for everyone based on what they care about. You know, I mean, the race directors have a lot of power. You know, if you're out there and you're a race director, I would like to say to you, you are an experienced designer and you have a powerful platform uh, it, within your your hands, within your purview. And, and so um, with great power, as they say, comes great responsibility. And so if there's purpose behind what you're doing, Zoom in, clarify it, and go with that, and let that be the whole reason that people are showing up to your event. You know, there's a, a event in Monterrey, Mexico, that is called the Carrera del Viento, and it's a wind, the wind race, it translates to. It takes place in a wind turbine um, farm outside of Monterrey, and the whole goal is to raise awareness of the power of, of renewable 
wind power and to increase engagement and awareness with that, to make a fun atmosphere where people can learn about renewable energy and and why that's important, and so that the local farmers can start to also gain the economic benefits of leasing their lands to uh, build more renewable energy capacity. So that's part of a much bigger energy transition that's occurring all over the world, right? Um, but this event said that's part of our purpose, is we're going to help elevate that conversation and bring it to the people in a way that they can actually physically engage with it and show up for it. And I think a lot of people are looking for those types of meaningful experiences more and more because we've been isolated, first of all, for a couple of years now, and people are very excited to get back out among among their peers and, and into society in a safe way and in a purposeful way, knowing that we, as humans alive at this time, we have... Um, some of the greatest challenges in front of us and also some of the greatest opportunities with that. We have the technology and the innovations to solve the problems that have plagued humanity forever. <laughs> and, and if we set our minds to it, you know, call me naive, but I believe that if we all oriented ourselves around purpose rather than economics, economics is a tool. It's, it's a system to help us achieve our goals so what is the purpose behind it, right? No, I completely agree. It's just that, um, and I was talking to someone about this, actually. It's interesting that you, you that you focus on purpose. I think um, purpose can be very important, very potent commercially. Not in the way that, you know, like, let's take the purpose and just monetize it for the sake of it. But as you say, I think keeping an eye on 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 your purpose and also um, I was talking to Peter Abraham another guest I had on branding and stuff like that and your mission and storytelling and all of that stuff is is really important and and that's sort of like where I was heading to basically how do I take my focus around these things around sustainability and the effort that I put into it and just perhaps maybe not monetize but basically publicize it a little bit more make make more of what i'm doing and communicate that better to to my audience and the rest of the world yes how can we do well while doing good or through exactly. by doing good yes i think that's careful messaging that that is deeply if you have a deeply rooted purpose then the messaging comes naturally from that it really just builds itself if your job is to, if your whole purpose for being as an event is to help restore these 10 acres of land, you know, and we're going to run on this land and we are going to restore it as a community over the coming years, like your marketing program just built itself. You know, I mean, all of your messaging um, is, is that you as a participant have a chance to be part of this, to be part of a solution, to be part of a community that is doing good um, for the world and, and we, and that, we need your involvement. And yes, it's good for you also for your own personal health and well-being. Indeed. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Speaking of all of that, and it sounds like we've come a long way, how does it feel to you? You've been working in this since uh, 2013, I think you mentioned, in this particular um, field. What's your sense in terms of the progress that the industry has achieved in the way of becoming more aware of these issues, but also practically in terms of actually reducing our carbon footprint and other other initiatives that, that are quite important in this effort? 
I would say the farthest that we've, the most progress that I've seen made is in awareness of event organizers of the opportunity and the responsibilities that they have. So there's more desire to do the, quote, the right things uh, um, than ever before. Uh, at the same time, we've not come far enough and not fast enough by any stretch of the imagination. I think in 2022, I don't really have to remind most of the audience that we are facing the prospect of severe consequences from rapid climate change and the associated biodiversity loss and um, climate refugeeism and uh, weather variability and expensive uh, weather events and deadly, right? I mean, so so we have difficult prospects on the horizon. Um, at the same time, events can be a microphone. They can be an awareness building platform um, for these events. I, I encourage events to work with their local municipalities on messaging, on, on sort of public service announcement type of work. But if you can go deeper, if you can get your uh, local municipality to go deeper with you about what's being done to build our community's resilience to this and what are we doing to mitigate the effects of climate change locally and and, and focus in on building awareness of those things because it's so many different solutions you know what i mean growing a little bit more of your own food to, to reduce food insecurity i mean kids love growing food get somehow get involved right and uh, and then link that with your running programs youth running and and get the parents out there too and those are the ones who will turn up for your events you know i mean it's sort of building out the the community element of the year round what is your organization doing year round and and for event organizers who are volunteers and this is just a side thing for them you know that'll be a little bit more of a challenge um for for those ones than other than the ones who are maybe have a full-time staff that goes year-round. So it looks a little different for everyone. It can get quite daunting, you know, when, when, we, when we actually, you know, set the bar at actually doing something meaningful, meaningful for climate change, which is a pretty, pretty big issue. How do we communicate to people that small practical things they can do can have a meaningful impact? So what would be like, you know, if you were to tell a race director, a couple of easy wins that they can do that they can immediately, you know, like move the needle in terms of how their event is doing on the environmental sustainability front. What would those be? You know, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it because not every event can do it all, right? Like we cannot take the weight of the world on our shoulders. We can play one small role. We all have a small part to play. Um, and so I think that's also true for events which can immediately, without very much effort, um, make a high impact uh, of, of controlling the, the event um, impact by incorporating the cost of a greenhouse gas emissions offset for the, to, to compensate for the travel that's required to get to events. We need people to travel to and from events, and it's the biggest source of climate change impact contribution from any given event by far even more than any of the waste that you're generating on the course. And that's not to say we shouldn't try to prevent waste, but it pales in comparison to the impact ecologically of the travel to and from the event. So if organizers can incorporate that cost into the price of their ticket, that's the ideal. And then just earmark those funds and start investing in, um, in a project that is pulling down that, that those emissions elsewhere, right? So it's, even though people are traveling to and from the event and they're emitting those um, gases, 
if you can invest in a project that's drawing them down into the plant matter, into the soil elsewhere, then we're compensating and finding balance. And, and really climate change is a large math problem for the balance of the gases in the atmosphere or stored in the soil and in living plant matter and, or in the oceans, which do a lot of carbon storage as, as well. So with that, I think it, it's a financial element. It's an economic piece there to just incorporate that as part of the business model is we're going to have a, a tax or a fee and then others will make it optional to begin with. And that's fine too, because that can help build awareness. You know, maybe people will click the button that you put on the, as part of the registration flow that says, why would I, why would I contribute $2 extra to the fee to offset my carbon? And that can be an educational thing. Um, that, that would be the practice that I think is the least amount of effort and the most amount of impact that everyone could adopt right away to really start making a difference. So basically what you're saying is you're putting a little bit of a, I mean, I know it's a taboo word, but it's it's a bit of a tax on yeah. on 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 everyone's ticket to say, and you can make it optional, as you say, to say, guys, this is what it would take to clean up your travel, basically, to take all of the emissions that come with you coming to the event, and I don't know, like planting trees, doing some kind of offset project somewhere in the world that sort of compensates for that. Yeah, because really we've we've externalized the cost on the environment of doing business as usual for so long, we've not incorporated that cost into our, I mean, and this is a great example, we've not incorporated the cost into the ticket of, of entry to the event. And that goes all across uh, our whole, the whole past century, right? So it's really the difference between the cost of doing business irresponsibly for the living planet that we rely and depend upon, or the cost of doing business responsibly to ensure that we still have a living planet to depend on. Yeah, I agree that actually that 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 sounds like pretty low-hanging fruit in the sense that, you know, anyone can just, you know, calculate, uh, and there's a few calculators out there, what that cost might be and just, you know, offer it as an optional extra on their registration. But then what happens about, you know, let's say I collect that money, how do I actually then go and spend it in uh, in an offsetting project? That gets a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? It does. It does because there is a third-party market that's uh, in, that offers many different types of offsets. I would recommend people look to a nonprofit organization called Project Drawdown, and Project Drawdown did the math about the most effective solutions to global warming, and they said, okay, if we move all of our, um, if we move all of the cow pasturing. To, uh, from feedlots where they're eating, you know, GMO corn to, um, to grass-fed pasture where, they're, where the cow patties are fertilizing the pastures and we're rotating them through and they're storing the carbon in the soil, that that has X amount of impact on climate change and will re relieve the problem by this much. And so um, they don't recommend specific offsets, but if you browse the top 100 solutions to global warming, I think you'll get some great ideas of where you might spend those funds. And there is a third-party market of, of uh, folks selling offsets where they have done that math for you and they've, in, they've identified the projects to invest in and they can help you facilitate that transaction and give you certificates to say that if, you're, if your money hadn't been invested this much you know, would have been emitted, but thanks to you, it, it wasn't. 
and then there's the option of, of investing in something that uh, is more community driven. So looking to the local uh, groups that are active in that space and seeing if there's anything local first that, that is worthy and sort of viable of supporting that, that maybe needs some volunteers out to, to plant native shrubbery at the preserve at the local right ecological preserve and and there's many ways that it looks but um even even keeping cars tires pumped to their actual inflate like to the recommended inflation level that has an impact right because then you're being more fuel efficient and you need less so anything that's uh reducing demand for driving or for fuel um all of those are solutions. So there's so many. I, I hesitate to point to just one because um, because there are so many. But is there like an actual vetted kind of organization? Like I know for charities, there's organizations who sort of like, you know, compile statistics and, and follow all the, the different nonprofits and, you know, how transparent they are and all of that. And generally, the industry trusts them. Is there a place where I can go with my money that I've collected from all the different contributions from people and be fairly confident that if I put my money with that organization, it's going to find its way through to actual carbon-reducing legitimate projects. Yes, there are. And um, there's verified carbon offsets project. So that's, that would be my recommendation is to look for groups that are vending verified carbon offsets. So there's um, just similar to we have standards and criteria for certifying events. Uh, there are standards and criteria for verifying that your offsets have impact. And so if a group is selling offsets that are verified, that's ideal. Super. So the other big thing that I think people may have in mind beyond travel and greenhouse gases, which, as you say, surprisingly, maybe to me and, and some other folks before I, you know, I, I got to know a little bit about this, is the biggest thing. So greenhouse gas emissions is the biggest thing. But plastic bottles is the thing that comes to mind when I think of waste, right? All those endless, you know, like carpets of discarded water bottles in road races. Uh, I guess when it comes to waste, that's a pretty big um, factor there. What are some good easy wins on that? Basically, what people can they do? And also, what, what's your opinion of the progress the, the whole capless movement has made in the industry? I know lots of trail running races, which I consider to be quite pioneering uh, in our industry, you know, have, have gotten there. But what's, what's the hope and the prospects for the remainder of the industry, you know, like your 5, five 10K local road race in actually hoping to reduce their their water bottle waste in a practical way. Yeah, I, we've seen lots of success with even very large events like the Chicago Marathon going towards compostable small serve cups. You know, so your five ounce um, cup um, that is compostable, and then actually making the effort to um, to sweep and gather and and compost those. So identifying local farms and maybe a, a commercial compost facility. It's different everywhere. So in Europe, you know, uh, large compost operations are more common than in the United States currently. Um, but some places have access to them. And then some farms have um, large compost operations that they operate independently. So, you know, giving a call around and seeing if they could take that material. Um, and then it goes really well with banana peels because uh, the science of compost is such that there's carbon and nitrogen-based materials. The cups 
any kind of papery stuff is more carbon or browns, they say. And then the nitrogen-based stuff is, is more of the, like, the wet food waste, so like banana peels, apple cores, um, coffee grinds, all of that is sort of the, the, the wets or the greens. And you need both to make a, a healthy compost pile so that it can decompose and turn back into soil that is essentially fertilizer for the next round of crops. So looking into that a little bit is one way. I would say also very simple, just let people carry their water backpacks. You know, I think uh, as a runner myself, I really appreciate when a race just lets me bring my camel back because it's how I train too. Um, and and so I'm used to it. I'm familiar with it. I've, I've got my hydration ready to go. Um, I, I recognize that there's a, a security concern for some of the larger events. I'm not the one expert to speak on that. However, I think I think having those hydration packs is is generally a good way to just encourage people to bring your own if you can. And then cupless racing, yeah, we've seen the speed cups, sort of the uh, squishy cup that can be tucked into the side of your of your pants or your shirt um, and just carried with you to the aid stations. Uh, it it works. Uh, it's difficult because the, there's always going to be people who drop their cup or lose their cup or don't um, get the memo about the cup. And so there does need to be some small amount of backup, um, again, maybe compostable or just the paper cup. And then I think there's still some innovation waiting to be had for what else is it going to be that gets people hydrated without the without the waste? You know, we saw the example in London or, or um, with the with the seaweed satchels, the packs that were came in a um, a uh, digestible plant-based cellulose packet. I think it was generally well received and it hasn't reached market at an affordable price yet. So we need to see the price come down for something like that. Um, and then who knows what the next innovator will come up with. Did you know that in a recent survey, 73% of responders said that reading reviews influences which races they enter? Well, RaceCheck is the largest aggregator of race reviews in the world and has collected over 40,000 race reviews for over 6,000 events globally. So how can you collect more reviews for your event and make the most of them to increase your race registrations? Well, you can start by listening to our Power of Race Reviews podcast from September 20th last year. There's plenty of tips there on growing your race reviews. And then visit organizers.racecheck.com that's organizers with an S dot racecheck.com to download your free racecheck review box so you can start showing all your race reviews on your website for an instant boost to your race's social proof and conversions. It really is a no brainer. So go to organizers with an S dot racecheck.com and download your free racecheck review box today. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. So let's move to Rescore, which is the really important big thing that you guys have uh, rolled out. And I think it's uh, very important for the industry because it makes all of the stuff we'll be talking about a little bit more accessible by everyone. So tell us a little bit about that. Thanks. Yeah. So all of this can seem pretty daunting. You know, 61 best practices, that's a lot for um, oftentimes small race committees and organizers to, to think about. Um, so Rescore is a tool that's designed to keep it all organized, uh, to keep it all um, in the cloud, on demand, 24-7, um, and help you really measure and organize your, your program and your approach. Um, 
So organizers can create a user account, they can create projects for individual events or for their entire organization. It will show you the best practices accordingly. And um, you can add people from your staff or volunteers or teams, whomever you want, you can add to the project so they can all be collaborators. And then you can claim points for the things that, for the best practices you're already implementing. And you can identify your aims for the future improvement while accessing the case studies, the examples, the links and the tools and the templates that are all built into this library of responsible sport practices. And that's Rescore in a nutshell. It's intended to help you measure and manage your, your program. That's awesome. So basically you're saying it's that same list of 61 standards or whatever that we spoke about earlier. You can use that as a ledger to keep your progress of how you're moving along. You can make notes around, you know, what you want to be doing in the future. And you have all the resources that come with, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, like, where do I turn to? Basically, all in one working tool that I can do all my sustainability planning and execution on. Yes, yes, which we hope also will make um, the, the reporting piece easier because as you build your marketing programs around your purpose, you know, folks want to know what have you accomplished to date and what's next. And so having ReadScore to, to organize all of that and one feature that we'll roll out later this year is, is the ability to, to put in your specific um, final numbers or performance data and generate a, a PDF, a report that you can share or that you can um, put into your brand colors or just you know share to your audience, however you see fit, um, to make that, that sharing piece uh, much more straightforward um, and that you can feel confident that it's according to these industry vetted standards rather than just pulled from a hat, right? And so, um, so it, gives, it gives it some structure and some organization. So when you get to the part about resource management and here we come along to greenhouse gases, okay, I'm a little, you know, I'm a little tentative because I've never done that before. You go in there and you say, okay, now we're at item 3.14, which is measure your carbon footprint. Okay, here's where you click download on the event tracker and you can start to it, it will tell you please put in this data here or an estimate of this here and we're going to help you run the number and that's your total carbon footprint there's even a video that's a tutorial for how to use the tracker so you can quickly watch and see okay here's what i'm looking at here's what it's going to take to get it done you could delegate it to a staff person or you could easily take it on having no experience whatsoever with greenhouse gas emissions or climate change impacts before. So it also has like a native uh, greenhouse gas calculator on it. So it can tell me how many tons of greenhouse gas equivalents I'm producing. Yeah, you'll download it as an Excel spreadsheet and it'll walk you through some questions and you put in your, your estimates or your data and it'll tell you here's your emissions. Awesome. And did you say earlier that um, you're hoping to also get to a stage where it also produces some kind of uh, like the equivalent, the equivalent of an economic impact study kind of thing, where it would just spit out a report that says this is everything your event did in a kind of friendly way that I can then share with my audience, my runners, my participants, my local authority, that kind of thing? Yeah, it will be organized according to those five categories. So it'll say, we did these items in planning, in procurement, we looked at this, and here were the standards that we met in resource management and through the five categories that way. But yes, uh, we'll, we'll soon be able to 
create a, a PDF that you can share with whomever you see fit. Excellent. And who can sign up for that at the moment? It's open to everyone. There's an access request form so that we can continue uh, communicating with people who do have interest and sharing new resources as they become available, because that's what we spend our time doing all, all day, every day, is trying to make you know things easier for event organizers to, to do. There's an access request form, but then you'll get a access code, and you'll go in, create your user account, and start using it today for cost-free in self-assessment mode. So I'll just quickly state the difference between self-assessment mode and certification mode. It's the same tool and the same standards of practice and the same organization. The only difference is that when an event is seeking certification, we bring in that independent verifier to check the documents and to maybe sometimes ask follow-up questions to the organizers or their providers directly to verify their actions. Um, and that's, that's the only difference in terms of the actual functioning of the Rescore tool. Right. So basically you're saying you can either use it DIY just to track your progress or even as a test for future certification or you can actually use it as a way to communicate with you guys at the council and submit all of your data so you can actually get certified through it as well. That is correct. And you can begin a project in self-assessment mode and maybe you see, oh my gosh, we're doing 30 of these items. We have we have enough to be certified and, and now we want to go ahead and do it. Let's, let's get the full benefit of being able to market ourselves as certified um, and share that story and have the council's help sharing the story and recognizing us independently, right? Um, that's, that's the idea. So groups can then switch into certification mode um, at any time through that project that they feel confident that they're ready to do so. And how much uh, does it cost using this tool? Using the tool in self-assessment mode is totally free, cost-free at all times. When groups want to move into certification mode, that's when they, they pay the certification fee, which I mentioned earlier. And all of this is available on our website, too, um, to read more about the details in the process. Okay. The tool was launched, if I remember correctly, um, earlier this year, wasn't it? Yeah, just uh, a couple months ago. In fact, it was mid-February that it was publicly launched. So we've had some early users testing it last fall, and, and, um, and now it's available to everyone. Super. And how has it been received so far by by organizers? Are they are they quite keen to give it a try? I think most of the feedback we've received is positive. They're saying it's it's user friendly. It's clearly organized. Uh, it, it's helping us get access to things that we hadn't been able to address because of lack of capacity or no, or knowledge or just um, items that we didn't have staff expertise on. So. So I think it's doing its job so far, and we hope to see it become more and more adopted as time goes by. Because I think actually the certification process is helpful. Having the standards and the checklist is helpful. But I think the most helpful thing for most people who are not particularly savvy around these things is how do I actually get to check that box, right? It's not so much tracking which, boss, which boxes I, I, I tick. It's more like, okay, yeah, fine. I want to mitigate my carbon emissions. How do I actually do that? Which is great because then through through the app, and we should mention it's a web app. You know, people shouldn't think that it's like a native thing on your phone. It's a web application, but you can actually get through all of those resources integrated through the tool. That's right. That's right. So at sportrescore.com, you just go and log in. You just create your user account. You log in. Um, 
And, and from there, you can access all of that guidance about how to actually do these things and the resources we've developed and the examples that have come from those 180 events that have been there and been trying it and been innovating as they go. There's a great um, feature in the tool as well um, called case studies where groups can put their own examples in because we've met so many who maybe they've been really focused on one certain element of their programming and they've just made it excellent, you know, and so we want them to share their stories too and make them available to event organizers everywhere in the network. So there is a, a tool where people can share their own good practices as well. Those same resources that sort of come through uh, Rescore, uh, categorized according to the different, um, the different standards and the five pillars, can I also, as a race director, access them somewhere on your website? Do you have like a general resource section or a library where I can go and look up how do I reduce waste or, you know, how do I mitigate some of my greenhouse gas emissions? That's all happening within Rescore at this point. So we're really building Rescore up as the library. There are some limited resources available on our website, just councilforresponsiblesport.org, um, and, and there's a resource page there, as well as you can, at any time, folks can download the best practice guidance. Um, just from our website as a PDF. But I'm, I'm really encouraging folks to go ahead and give Rescore a try. You know, I mean, it's really, we're, we're building up uh, the library of resources there. Excellent. Yeah, I think it makes more sense generally, of course, to have it as part of how it connects with everything else, to have those resources built in there. And we should actually say that um, Rescore was developed by um, TCS, so Tata Consultancy Services, which also have a very big footprint in our industry. Do you want to give a quick shout out to those guys for all the help they provided? Of course I do. Yes, it wouldn't have been possible at all without the generous uh, support of, of TCS and, um, and their brilliant designers and engineers. So um, they really took the, the idea of Rescore and, and turned it into a reality. And so they are so astute and so capable with taking any of your information, right, and turning it into an applicable, usable, user-friendly system. So huge shout out to TCS. This free resource would not have been possible without them. Awesome. And thanks for from, from everyone, I guess, all, all race directors who are going to be using this for free. Uh, big thanks to those guys. It's a really it's a really big step. It's a big investment, right? So I appreciate it. It probably wouldn't have been possible without someone like TCS coming in and having both the expertise and the resources to deliver this. So I wanted to wrap up on uh, like a quick discussion on how you see the future of sustainability and trends in the industry and how the whole thing is going, particularly in terms of specific practices. Do you see some things right now being adopted by events that are maybe a little bit ahead of the curve right now, but you expect to become more like the norm across all events in terms of sustainability practices? Yeah, thanks for that question. I, I'm going to emphasize again that, that race organizers can't take the weight of the world on their shoulders, right? There's lots of opportunity with events and being that experienced designer. Um, and yet I think the encouragement is to zoom in on what is most important for um, the, the leadership committee or the community that is participating in that event because it is going to look different everywhere. Um, you know, climate change is a systems change 
problem at its core. I mean, from the food we eat to the clothes we wear to how we move around and how we move those goods around our global economy. These are huge. These are huge issues. And yet we can still play our small role by doing things like thinking about um, where we are procuring goods and services. Are we supporting local businesses and women and minority-owned businesses, for example? Are we trying to shorten the supply chain a bit? Are we trying to use more ecologically responsible materials in whatever we're procuring? Are we trying to reduce and eliminate waste up front and not just print things out for the sake of it. You know, I mean, um, can we uh, look at the material and physical goods and just be be resourceful, right? Just not excessive, but appropriate. And uh, that would be my encouragement. Can we take uh, accountability for our contributions to climate change? Yes, we can use the tools available now to measure our specific impact and then it, and then invest in, in the nature-based solutions ideally locally right near us um, to support the land and, and the biodiversity that calls that land home and start to incorporate that sense of responsibility and partnership with our living planet as a way, as part of how we do business in an ongoing uh, way. Do we have as an industry any kind of benchmark in terms of, you know, any reliable uh, metrics that we can measure progress against in terms of how many carbon emissions we produce or like how much waste or, or any of that? We're getting there. I'm so excited. Rescore is going to help us get there. Um, data will not be attached to any individual organization, but we at the council will be pulling um, group data and, and putting it into those buckets and starting to identify, okay, how many um, emissions per capita did that race have or did this group of 10 races have and um, we're actually publishing our first paper academically in the um, the, the Journal of Sustainable Tourism um, this year uh, identifying some of our initial findings around per capita emissions um, from travel to and from races as well as we'll be able to look at waste generation per capita per participant for example so we'll be coming down the line with with um with you know sort of benchmarks and then you know if you're really striving here's what you might aim for so look out for that down the line okay great so there's another um positive aspect to rescore you're saying that all the data that's going to be coming through you're going to use to basically be able to finally get a little bit more reliable numbers on what we're actually producing and how that's changing, which is, which is super helpful. Yes, very excited for that. Awesome. What other, if any, um, future plans do you guys have at the council? I mean, I know Rescore is a big focus right now and it's probably going to be taking a lot of your energy, but are there any big, grand projects or initiatives on the way? You know, our vision has not changed over all these years. It's responsible sporting events as the norm. And I think we still have a ways to go until everyone's really looking at their greenhouse gas emissions and at their waste and at their procurement and supply chains and looking at their inclusion and their outreach to community. I think we have a ways to go. So we're going to keep working towards making responsibly produced events easier and more accessible for organizers to achieve. Why don't you um, share with our listeners where they can actually find out more about the council, about you, if you're open to sharing your email for direct communications, and about Rescore. So how can they actually um, get through to you guys across all those three? 
Yes, great. So the quickest way will just be to type into your browser, sportrescore.com. Sportrescore.com will take you to the council's webpage and it will give you access, it will give you some more information about Rescore, first of all, and then it'll invite you to fill an access request form. And that access request form will give you a special code to bypass a paywall um, on Rescore. So originally, Rescore was going to uh, generate some revenue for the council, but we, as discussed earlier, decided it really needed to be a freely accessible tool. So with that, you'll get a you'll get a special access code to go past the paywall and get into the system right away. So sportrescore.org. So it's sport and then rescore.com. Um, my email address, I'm very happy for anyone to email me their thoughts, feedback, input, questions, etc. I love having, you know, short introductory calls with people who are just wanting to learn more. So my email is just Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at, get ready for it, it's long, councilforresponsiblesport.org. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, we, we struggle with the same thing at Race Directors HQ. You guys have, are even longer, but it, 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 <laughs> it makes sense. You know, I think people, uh, they're not going to miss that. Shelly, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. It's been really helpful getting to know more about your work, all of your guys' work at the Council for Responsible Sport and the awesome Rescore app you guys have out. I really don't see any reason why every single race organizer out there can just use it as, as a toy, right? As a tool, as like, just try it out. And I've seen like the user experience on it and stuff. It's like super straightforward for people to adopt. Just be curious about it. I would say just be curious about it, pick up the app, get on it, and see how much progress you want to make. Because I know lots of people are thinking a lot harder about being more uh, environmentally um, sustainable and environmentally responsible. So if you actually practically want to do something with that, just pick up the app. And it's really straightforward for everyone to just measure their progress, even people outside the US, so long as they can follow English instructions and stuff like that. So uh, definitely do that. Thank you very much again, Shelly, for your time and your thoughts. Panos, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone listening in. And we'll see you all on our next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Council for Responsible Sport with my guest, Council for Responsible Sport Executive Director, Shelly Villalobos. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your questions about sustainable event planning practices or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. Many, many thanks again to our awesome podcast sponsors, Run Sign Up and Race Check for sponsoring today's episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite player and check out our podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.